Welcome to The Director's Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision maker on a film set. I'm Marcus Thomas. And I'm Oz Arshad, and we are both writer directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist, so we are going to do our best to help you bridge the gap. So this week's ep, episode, episode A, uh, <laughs> we've been, <laughs> we've both been pretty busy, right? Trying to, uh, and our, and our own little respective projects, but um, it's slightly less organized, but we've got a plan to talk you through what is directing, because I don't think there's much out there. And I think the answers which you get can either be like very, very wanky uh potentially <laughs> or pretentious uh so yeah we thought we'd, we'd throw out some some knowledge about what we think it is you, you you've done the ma what is directing yeah i should actually correct you i've actually done two ma's uh one in creative digital film production another in uh in fiction directing at the national film and television school i think the favorite thing i like well i think my, the thing i like most about that is that i've got as many master's degrees as i've got gcse's right is what I that's my my little sales point um and yeah directing is some sort of abstract thing which you I think in the beginning you have an idea about what it is from looking at all of the greats and the people that you aspire to be like in the films that you love and you have an idea of what it is but you don't actually know yeah what do you think it is I think the job of a director is to direct the attention of the audience and that's just as broad as I see it. Obviously, that 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 can then be anything. You know, you can add your own uh, spin on that. You can just do it whatever's on the page. But it has to come from a script. Because the script, I think a lot of people, um, I know I certainly did, used to think like, right, these are it. These scripts are like novels. But actually, they're not. They're a blueprint. They're the first part of it becoming a visual thing. And I think that's the thing. Is a lot of scripts, you read them, they can read well. But I think for me in the early days, you might write something which can't be visualized. Like you might you might write something about a character, about their backstory or something. And I remember on my graduation film during my BA, my bachelor's degree, I wrote this main character who was, she was coming back from hospital to back home to her abusive relationship and there's lots of flashbacks within it and she's basically sitting in a cafe with an empty seat opposite her drinking a drink and waiting for someone to arrive and that's all what happens and someone walks through the door and it's not the person she's expecting and then she looks at the seat the empty seat and then goes back like it, it pops back to the present and in the script it was like she she's there waiting for her mum for a meeting she's kind of she's been hard up and so that's how she's ended up in this bad relationship and this flashback was supposed to kind of give us a sense of her character but not at any point did I set that up or say that was what was happening or visually show it in any way shape or form I guess my point is that I think that directing is visual storytelling I feel like that's at a fundamental level that's all it is and you have to be very methodical about the way in which you display that and communicate that to an audience through the use of visual language, and it is a language. When when you say that it's a, a visual language, do you mean as in the way 
the camera's moving? Do you mean the way in how close people are to, to the screen? Is it there's a pattern, you know, mm. intonations? You know, like when we speak our language, we deliver the language, we have intonations. I think it's quite a difficult one because I guess with language, it evolves, right? Like just regular language, like slang, like new new slang appears all the time and new words are used or taken out of context. And I think it's the same with visuals. So there's so much around visual language, which is established, which people understand without realizing they understand it. So when I was, if I watch something with my parents and I'm, I'm watching, yeah, if I watch something with my parents and it will cut to a close up of the main character on a plot beat, my parents then like, because they see them emoting in a close-up, then they're like, oh, they're going to do this because it's sa- it's setting something up for later. And that's, they, they're not film people at all. They're not in the arts or anything, but because it does that, they understand it and they don't even realise they understand it. So I think that's where it's, that's what it means by visual language is like, it's, it's finding the right way for your story, for that scene, for that moment and tonally um, in the context of what you're trying to do. It's, it's, communicating the right way or it's communicating in a way which is honest to you which gets that across to the audience it's a tricky one it's a copper answer because there is no way right there's an established language which we all have and buy into because of cinema's been going i mean i mean it's created in the, the the end of the 1800s by the lumiere brothers but i guess it's kind of unfortunately been more famous ever since dw griffith birth of a nation i've not seen birth of a nation it's the most racist shit you'll ever see in your life <laughs> I, know that, I, I know, I know you showed it me because I remember you showed it me on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, Spike Lee goes off about that one. Well, my understanding of it is that visual storytelling has to have the audience central to what that visual language is because it's your storytelling. Storytelling to who? Who are you telling it to? You're telling it to the audience, and that's where the element of what how you manipulate the story visually to project onto the audience what you want them to feel, which I guess is not what you do in co- when, you, when, you, when you're working on score, because score, you can't manipulate the audience too much and lead them, but whereas visually you are leading them, uh, unless you're doing one of those films where someone stares out of a window for 20 minutes because they're in grief. Exactly that. And I think a lot of visual language, I think it attributes to giving the audience information. I think that's, I think that's the thing, is when you break films down, it's all just information. Like everything is information and it's how you distribute that and give that to the audience. And if you know what information you're giving the audience, then you can plot where they're going to be emotionally. Cause you think you've given this clue about this character, how one character might be ready to fuck someone over, but the other one doesn't. If you then have a scene afterwards with those two characters where they meet with that knowledge, then there's going to be tension in that scene which you can play with because you can talk about anything because the audience is going to be expecting one of them to fuck the other over. And so if you choose to play it in a certain way where one might be more playful than the other, it has a whole different meaning. So um, it's it's about having a sense of the information you're giving to people. And with that with that information, obviously we, you know, when we were doing our shadowing, we saw so much staging and, you know, there's a, there's a rhythm, isn't there? Uh, not rhythm, there's a sequence of how events take place when you're directing on set. You know, you yeah. might do the line read, then you do the blocking, then once you've done the blocking, you do a crucial of that blocking, and then you work it out with the DP. Where do you want yeah. the audience to experience this staging of that scene? 
Mm. Um, and I think that's where the real skill of the director is in that moment where you're on set. Yes, you've got plans. Yes, you've prepped. But sometimes mm. things might change. And mm. you have to think, how do I want the audience to experience this scene that I've got taking place? When I was starting, personally, I would look at all the cool shots in cinema, like all the stuff done by Spielberg or Tarantino, all these sorts of fancy things. And so you think instantly, ah, oh, cool, I'm going to think of this shot for this film in this moment because that's going to be really cool. Or I'm going to think of this shot or put that shot there. And that's not what it is, right? Like, what it is, is that you get on set, you have the scene... You have to think about what that scene's about. At what point does it turn? Whose story is each scene? Like whose perspective is that scene? And then you create the movement of the actors based on where they need to be at any given point emotionally. And then from that, you create the shot. You think of the best place to put the camera based on the staging, which you've just said, like based on the staging and the blocking of the scene. Um, and that's the way to do it. And that's what directing is, right? That's the biggest part of directing. That, that's the that's the main layer of it but obviously in in prep as a director you have to ensure that well what the what's the production design like how are you working with the production designer and what is that production design are you somebody that 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 like the way i see it is i see production design without being wanky as expressionism as in what is the state of that character obviously the audience can't see me but i've got a dressing gown on and my hair's all over the place someone might look at me and think oh He's, he's having a bad day and uh, I am but you know this is this is the way that I'm presenting myself because it's a reflection of how I feel from the inside and that's how I see production design so there's that then there's obviously who do you actually cast that's an extension of the director's job let's unpack that you know but what other elements are there that are, that are filed under directing I, I was going to ask if you were at what point you figured out the like what blocking was and how you learned it and how your experience was because you you jumped right into a feature right with, without having the experience to kind of take on a project of that length I mean you did it anyway I guess like how did you how did you attack each scene like what was your starting point I do remember I didn't know what blocking was and even by the time I finished I didn't know what blocking was I was doing what you were describing before where I was like let's get a shot um I didn't understand about visual storytelling I didn't understand about there's actually a language and sometimes you can have a recurring you can have a recurring image um, done based on different stages. Staging, I didn't know that. And then that made me go back to films like, you know, my favourite films like Old Boy or Boys in the Hood. You know, Training Day, T2, uh, Terminator 2, and, and, and reverse engineer some of that, what was going on. Um, mm. And then I, I learned a lot of my craft as well from listening to DVD commentaries. I mean, some of them are, are not very good. And it's just someone mm. just trying to explain the story. And it's like, well, we've got the story. Why are you explaining the story for? Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas the commentary for Boys in the Hood, you know, from the late uh, John Singleton, Singleton. R.I.P., he, mm. his, his was brilliant. And do you know what he did? Like, there's a scene he where... He was like 21, where, right? So he probably didn't know either. He was 23. He didn't. And do you know what he said? So in the... in I remember, actually, I was with you, actually, the next day after I'd watched it. I think I told you when we were on set that uh, I'd watched it again. And what John Singleton was saying was... He literally lifted shots from other films and from Spielberg. So the bit where Do young Doughboy, he gets pulled out of the house by the police at the start, near the start of Boys in the Hood before the time jump happens. He goes, I just saw this shot from Spielberg where he would drag the camera mm. from one end parallel, sort of like from left to right, rather than pushing in. And uh, the motivation was what being dragged. He goes, and I replicated that. 
There's another scene where he uses where he used a crane above a, a rail track early on when they, when when all the characters are young, and they're walking away from the camera to show that they're you know they're they're all young and how how big the world is because they're mm. on a rail track about to see a dead body. He nicked that straight from uh, Stand by Me, and it's identical. I didn't know all of this obviously when I did that. This this I guess clicked to me when I'd done more films, and I think I, th I think it was when I'd done the BFI show when I was doing that, my objective on there, can I block properly? Can I block with meaning? Can I block with motivation? And yeah. can I block without just getting character to move for no reason? And that film, Expiation, mm. obviously you know, it's helped me a lot in getting to the next things and getting things. And I think one of the reasons for that is, is because the blocking uh, is decent on there. The characters move, right? And I think that, I think that's the key thing is, I, I remember, I, I had no context for any of it. And uh, it was only from going to open days at the, at the National Film Television School. I remember they talked about the curriculum, which they have. And it sounds like we're selling, selling trying to sell the place, but we're not. Um, the, the, the part of the curriculum they do is that you put on a 10 minute play when you're there. You do that because it removes the camera and you focus on performance. And that's the sole purpose of it. And I remember when I heard that, I was like, cool. I, I'm not from a theater background. I'd never been as an adult. Like it was it was either too expensive to do as a kid or I, I wasn't from London. So there was nothing of interest really around me. Um, so it was one of those things. I then made a conscious effort to go and watch theater. And from that, you then kind of see the mechanics of it and how the actors move within the space. And what's important with watching theater for the blocking of scenes is that, um, you have there's no camera so you're directing the audience's gaze via the blocking which is essentially what we're doing like you're you're moving characters throughout space to have them uh, either rise or lower themselves in status at any given moment um to convey the story which you're telling and that's fundamental to what we mm. do 100 percent. whereas as a filmmaker when i first started going to theater which was when I was a filmmaker, so it was very late on. My wife, my wife took me because she's she loves the theatre. I I was just looking at everything and getting confused. I was like, "What's going on?" I would nudge her like, "What is going on here?" And it was also because some of it was Shakespearean, yeah. and I'm not I'm not familiar with that with that language. <laughs> the language is just wild. Yeah, she would also translate that that for me. But always helpful. Theatre is amazing for that, and I guess the extension of it with screen is well, where would you place the cameras on those on those moments to capture that performance i still remember there was a moment when um during my first year film like one of my my um my classmates they were doing a rehearsal of a scene for their film and he was trying to decide on his shot list and it was like he was showing me the the performance on his phone of what they they'd kind of rehearsed and he was just like i don't know where to place the camera he was like in the video and he kind of set this camera up on a tripod and he was in the video watching the performance and i was like well look at where you're standing like you're standing in the best place to get the best look at it. Like that's your basis to start from. And it's kind of that simple. Like if you have the performance, you set the whole thing up and then you should be thinking like, where would I want to be watching this from? That should inform loosely where you place the camera and it has to work that way around. And from when you get good at staging, that's when the cool shots happen. It's it, if you try and do it the other way around, uh, if you try and do it the other way around, chances are you'll just piss off your actors and they're going to feel restricted and you might not get a strong performance from them because you're trying to shoehorn stuff in for the sake of 
vanity, really. <laughs> it's just, it's not truthful, right? Just casting our mind back from when we were watching House of the Dragon, with, you know, watching that episode seven, Hall of Nine scene, which was an ensemble piece. Like, so you've got like Olivia, Emma Darcy, like Paddy, and they're all there, the kids. And it's just where, for the first time, they've kind of popped back into the same place and it kicks off. And me and you watched most of that from uh, the second floor. And we were there in rehearsal as well. And it was really interesting to see there were different pockets of scenes where the camera was. So there was Paddy at the front and then there was a whole coverage thing around that. And then it was that other bit, wasn't it, near the fireplace where the, where the greens were. And then on the opposite side of them, further down the hall, were Emma Darcy and the blacks, really. And there were obviously blacks on the other side with, with Paddy. Yeah. And it was really interesting. And then and then it came to a head when, when Alison goes to attack Rhaenyra. And all that blocking for me, yeah. like seeing that was a masterclass because it was a masterclass of obviously blocking and staging but it was also a masterclass on, well, where's the camera yeah. going? And the lines, like, yeah, this is another thing, like, it's, yeah. it can really bamboozle your head, is the the line, and when we say line... There's rules that have been established, like, over the 100 years, which cinema has been a thing, and one of them is the 180-degree rule uh, for continuity, which, when you've got lots of characters, can be difficult. Um, it's basically a way of having the character always be on the left looking right, if the other characters on the right looking left or or vice versa it's a it's a way of of keeping continuity so that when you cut fast between them you can still get a sense of who's where there were a couple of get arounds and workarounds which was clever because they weren't they weren't part of the main scene where like Eamon who had had his eye gashed they didn't have him on a line they just had the camera right under his nose under his face looking up at him and then therefore there wasn't a line so he didn't connect him with any character it was literally he looks left he looks right and we just know where he is. Whereas obviously Paddy and Alison, um, they had a line. Then it was uh, uh, Alison and Rhaenyra had a line. Then it was uh, uh, Viserys and the kids. Had, it was it, it was it was mad. It was mad. And as a director, mm. especially from what I was doing last week, the line is so crucial to understand it, especially on something ensemble. It can really throw your head. Yeah. Because I, I guess what's what's good to note is that with that, like Miguel had four days of rehearsal uh, to work all of that out, and within that time, he's not he's not thinking about the shots. He's purely thinking about how am I moving these through space. So when you've got everyone moving and the performance is working, then you're thinking about how do we cover it in a way which makes sense. Because there's no one way to kind of play that out and capture it with cool shots. Like you just have to be truthful to whatever the scene is right i guess he must have said i, I think that you know you lot should be there you lot should be there and then he let the let the actors figure out how they move to them spaces where how does the series get from the throne across to the fireplace how does allison end up in the middle of the room with a knife when they kind of got the loose blocking then miguel went in and tweaked or maybe you should hold the knife like this maybe you should push her and jolt her back into a family just like finessing and tightening but you get if you think of the action zones of where you want things to play out and who's going to be standing where, they have the script, actors are smart. It's always the f the thing to do first is just have a sense of what you want to be doing geography-wise, where you want to be placing characters and then allowing them to have a try. And you kind of have to acknowledge that you're going to fuck it up. It's not going to be great for the first one or two times, um, but then it's about finessing it. It always gets better from that point. And they had, um, like you said, four 
four days to rehearse it because there was so much going on. They did a really interesting thing, and Miguel had only learned this from the two weeks before about on something like that where it was so ensemble and I don't think he'd even on, on Game of Thrones done anything as ensemble as this where everybody mattered and everybody had a story that was right. unravelling in the scene he actually started with the close-ups yeah. and then went wide yeah which was really interesting yeah. rather than doing it the other way around and then so you knew it was going to get better right as it was going along because otherwise you'd have to have the whole thing running fluently from the beginning when they weren't ready to do it and you're going to waste half a day trying to do that it was such a big set and i know that mm. that would intimidate any director like that's not experienced with 15 pages of dialogue yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's around like a 10 page 11 page scene or something page a minute yeah and one thing that um he did was break it into the smallest pieces and then put it back together and obviously it's a great scene it's a great scene and it, and it worked well but that was all down to direction yeah it's a good case study actually to to have a look at that i guess to to move on because the other thing which i it took me a long time to figure out and i was always doing intuitively because uh, i kind of learned blocking from just watching theater and and then watching films to see how people move through space and then you quickly learn that scenes kind of evolve through blocking the other thing which i wasn't aware of early on uh, which I was speaking to one of my mentees about recently as well, is perspective. I didn't really know, like have a name for what that was. Like I remember when I was doing No Exposure, it follows that one character and I kind of wrote it to be that way. But that was just based on me watching lots of films that it felt like I should write that. Um, and I remember I had to go back and during one of the early scenes, I had to go back on a reshoot and get a single close-up because... I didn't have a close-up of him at the end of a scene to allow us to see the emotion which they're experiencing off the back of that scene. We had no context for this, the emotion that the main character would be feeling at that time. Um, and that's just because I was, I was basically running off, off of uh, instinct and vibes because um, no one teaches you about perspective. You know, when we were in the edit with just me, you and Miguel and, the, and, and Tim Porter ed editing, what would he go back to when, when they got into a kind of, in, into a tangle they got tangled with what, what's going on here in this scene who's seen in it what's the perspective yeah that's what they get but at that level that's what they went back to these basics i i only learned that at film school that's the first time i heard anyone speaking about perspective i had no one to tell me about any of it and i think it's 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 the very fundamentals of of what it is to be a director i think like you're communicating visually uh you're communicating a story visually to an audience. That's what you're doing. But when you're kind of breaking it down scene by scene, right, you're going to be shooting this scene today. This is the scene we have. Um, I don't know. This character needs to go in a room and tell this character they hate them. Um, and then and then the other one leaves because they can't deal with the, the pain of being told that they're hated. Who, who are we following? Because you can't go in with one character beforehand with that pent-up aggression saying that thing and then leave with the character afterwards um like with the other character sorry to kind of deal with the aftermath of it i mean you can it's an artistic way of doing it but there's different stories depending on who you stay with and i think one of the the notes i heard early on um when i kind of learned about perspective was that there's no unique stories left but there's unique perspectives which i've I think is like quite an interesting quote. I don't know where it came from. 
what you're saying is so important because last week when I was directing, it was so important for me to understand the trajectory of the character that that I understood who wanted what to track through the three scenes and then I my that informed my directing then and it informed how I captured the scene at the start. It informed how I got the close up. It it informed how I captured the performance and how that carried through to the scene to then climax because everything's a set off to the payoff, set up to the payoff. And everything was building to, you know, this 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 last scene that I was shooting. I did plan for that, but it required me to understand the perspective and who wants what. You know, what 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 does the character want here and, and, and what's stopping them and who's stopping them and what do they want? And you really have to in your notes, you know, have that written down. Even if you're a writer director yourself, you know, you've written it yourself, you can get lost. But these fundamentals are so important because when you go on to set, the act the, the actor might say to you, they might be saying something different. They might be saying to you, I think that I want this. And it's like, well, no, it's not that. It's this and it's because of this, this and this. If, if you've not written it, you really are trying to interpret the writer's intention. No character should leave a scene emotionally the same way as which they came into the scene. Like there should always be an emotional change for every character in, in the scene. And that all usually hinges on a key point in the scene. So in the example I gave, it was about like someone telling someone they hated them. That would be like the key part of the scene and it all hangs off of that. And then actors are going to go there and in, with their own work done and they're going to be dealing with, with it in, from their own perspective. It might not be the one which you're tracking for the story, but they still need to think in those terms and you need to speak with them on those terms and communicate with them. And that's kind of what directing is, right? So that when 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 you reach that point in a scene which kind of like creates that change in emotion it needs to kind of be from a conflict of some sort like some sort of like characters not meeting properly in the middle like something is is amiss which causes that that obviously comes out of good writing you know it has to be there um because you're trying to figure out the writer's intention and if you've written it you've got to make sure that it's there um, it really is about where do, where did the character start and where do they finish. And you know this this thing about the emotional changes. You, I read it early on when I was like, I want to do, I want to understand writing and understand directing. But it's only actually recently in the last couple of years that's actually pennies dropped to me about emotional change on the script and how that translates to screen. It's insane, right? Like because it's when you see it, it makes everything seem so simple because it it it's as simple as that and it's what everything comes off of. But it takes so long to learn it because you get lost in all of the cool shit you watch on TV and explosions and that. You're like, oh, I'd love to do a one-er, like extraction. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, it, and it does take time and it does take practice. You can listen to any podcast or any filmmaker and they'll say, go out there and shoot. Even we will say that, go out there and shoot. Shoot and just, just learn and shoot with anybody. It doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter what it is. But the thing that, that, that has to be attached to that is You've got to understand what it is that you've actually shot and you've got to understand where you've made a mistake so that you don't do the same one again. If you keep doing the same mistake 10 times, like I did that uh, when I did Finding Fatima, I kept doing rewrites, but it was just the same shit in the bucket. I was turning around and then it was just another an, another spade of it. Oh, it's some new shit. But it was yeah. because I didn't get told or I didn't understand that actually to improve it, I've got to do this, that and the other. And it's so important that no matter what you make, you understand from it and reflect on it. And like you do it a lot, don't you? You watch, you watch your stuff over and over and over yeah. again. Yeah, it's it's stupid, <laughs> but you pick so many holes in it. You pick so many holes in your own stuff. You kind of 
you you learn a lot and you interrogate your your whole process a lot and what you could be doing better i think perspective knowing that is everything it's perspective and emotion and every single scene is is a story in itself we 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 are we are assuming and making the assumption that the script you've got is written well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh because if these things aren't in it then obviously you're gonna miss you're gonna misunderstand it but this is the thing like if if you look at it on a scene by scene basis and you see how whoever whichever character you're following how they go from scene to scene emotionally if something isn't quite landing or if there's not changing or like they finish the film the same as which they begin it something's off and that's how you can interrogate it. That's how you should be looking at your script and that's how you, where you should be looking to make changes. So last week when I directed, one of the things I did with the script was I literally broke it down character to character from scene and to, to chart what you've just said, to chart that change so that so that I knew that this is a starting point of this character, this emotional change happened, this happens in the next scene, this happens in the next scene, so that I could chart all those emotional changes and that governed how I was going to cover the scene. Again, it goes back to saying about a film as information, like how you're communicating to an audience, but that information comes from the characters. And so it's what information do they have and how does it change them? And that's, it might be that a character learns something in a scene and how does that emotionally change them and how does that motivate the decisions they go on to make from that point onwards? Like these are the things you should be thinking about and those moments, those are the places where you can have fun stylistically, either in reaction to it or how that information is given. And also it is about it is about, you know, understanding where they end up because your camera movement might pay off for the audience in a different way that you've not shown before. For example, if it's close up, close up, close up, you know, everything's on a long focal length so everything feels compressed. And then when that change happens, you might gradually start pulling off the gas with that and going for a short focal length so the world doesn't feel squeezed, for example. But it's knowing that journey in order for you to make that creative decision because that's how the audience are going to experience it. Really, like we're saying about what is directing, that really is the most fundamental thing. Like if you get a grasp of that, that's how you will communicate to every single department. Like uh, you touched on like production design. That's how you uh, communicate to a production designer. Where does this scene take place where this character learns this huge piece of information? How does that reflect or contrast against that information and the emotional state of the actor off the back of that moment? Like, is it in their bedroom? What does that say about this character? Um, costume, same thing. Um, like, what are they What are they wearing? Like, are they wearing a party dress and they're learning really, really sad news? Like, does that add an element of comedy? Like, these are the sorts of things you can use to subvert or create expectations, but also to communicate what you need. Um, but it all comes down from that very, very fundamental thing. Whose story is it and how you tell it? For for blocking as a whole thing, there's a whole thing around like watching films with the sound off. Um, they say to do that, which is, is genuinely quite useful. You don't get kind of bogged down by the shit. I'll turn the sound off and I'll watch it double the speed um, just so I get a quick idea of what the blocking actually is um, as an overview and then... And then, and then, just seeing where the shots of geography are, like, like, why do I know where they are? All right, it's because it's because of the line the camera left, or they move from that to there, and then the camera's here. Um, it can get quite complicated, but you really have to reverse engineer it and really understand. In film, characters don't move like people move in real life. They 
they will stand up to make a point and they'll walk somewhere off to go off on that point and then they'll turn back to the person sitting down to give the final piece of information or get closer to deliver it. Like, you can, there's so much to play with, right, when it comes to character movement and it doesn't adhere to real life because it's cinema. It's like you, you have fun with. Yeah, exactly. Even though, yes, I learned some of this stuff when I was at the NFTS and it unlocked it, but a lot of my education also came from just what listening to podcasts, listening to stuff, watching stuff, reading stuff. And two things that come to mind now about this is Christopher Nolan spoke about it. And obviously he's someone who's very intellectualizes filmmaking to a ridiculous level. Um, and, you know, to the point even where Robert De Niro doesn't understand him when they did a panel with him and Michael Mann on Heat off of the DGA, he asked mm. Robert De Niro a question and Robert De Niro looks at Al Pacino and Al Pacino goes, don't worry, I've worked with him before. I know what he means. Meaning he's just intellectualized something to Robert De Niro and Robert De Niro like, Man, I didn't even do it. That in, it's not. It doesn't need that level of intellectual analysis, dude. Yeah, I was just doing what I was doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're a filmmaker, and if that's how deep you have to go, that's how it is. And what he, what what Nolan says, he always talks about proximity of camera to character, and I never understood it until yeah. all this stuff we're talking about. The penny dropped only a couple of years ago. I used to watch this stuff, you know, many years ago when I first started. But I, I, I understand now what he means by the proximity of the camera, like the Coen Brothers. You know, there's a there's a famous uh, video essay on them where they never place the camera over the shoulder or dirty the frame. Meaning, you want if if, if I'm talking mm. to you and the camera's on me, you won't see your shoulder in it. It won't dirty the frame or over the over your shoulder. The camera will always be in the in between me and you, and it'll be singles on me and you. Yeah. Meaning, it's just me in the frame. That as a language, a visual language, you know, makes you experience what's going on in a different way to as it would if it was over the shoulder of you. And all that has meaning and it all has motivation. And it's a choice, isn't it? And it's all informed by perspective and emotion. It's a very interesting topic. And it's once you see it, you'll never look at films in the same way again. And and yeah, as you were saying, like it was the same for me. I kind of learned it intuitively, but it was only from when I went to film school. Um, that's where I learned the name of it. And once you kind of know what it is, then you can pick it out. It kind of clicks everything into place. What's your week been like? It's it's been a good week for both of us, I, I believe. You've been busy. So I've been I've been directing. Um, I was I got onto something. Can't say what it was. Those non-disclosure agreements, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. NDAs. That's the thing, isn't it? Like the the higher up you go in, the cooler the shit that you do, the less you can say about it to anyone. <laughs> Whereas, like when you're starting out, you get excited about just like making one thing and you put it on social media. You can't say shit to anyone about anything. And, you know, everybody's everybody's journey is different and everybody's journey of what opportunities are put in their path are different. Uh, and when you look back in retrospect, you know, the future me will look back and think, actually, that was right. Yeah, I think that's a good point in that um, when you look back on the journey, like if you look back on where you are now, there's been lots of things along the way, which I'm sure you've been rejected from or whatever else. But it's made total sense now when you look at the experience you've had like the route which you've taken to where you are is exactly the one which you're supposed to be doing right and it's led you to where you are and when when i was on this thing last week i got two rejections from somewhere else yeah simultaneously it's mad isn't it when that happens yeah that's just part of it what about you what's your week been like yeah i've been up for some funding which is fun um so i've been working on a little short project which i i wrote and threw out again with a big studio and that was successful which is 
really fun because it's uh, one of the most fucking ridiculous things I've ever written. <laughs> Which is kind of... <laughs> it was one of those where it was like, um, how weird can I make this? And if they want this, then that's on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Solid weeks around. So, Nugget of the Week, have you got one? I do. I shared it with you. And it, it really correlates with what we talked about today. It was the DJ podcast with Rian Johnson about Knives Out, Glass Onion, which should be available on Netflix by the time this is out. And what was great about it was, I think it was around 25 minutes in, I sent it to you, I was like, this is fucking, this is literally why we're making this podcast, because this is, this is what it is. And he had no idea about staging, he had no idea about blocking. Um, and he talks about all in this in this podcast and he breaks down his process about how he now goes on set and thinks about everything in terms of staging and blocking and then does the shots afterwards. So it's it's super useful and it's it's literally like he's a, a top like one of the top directors working at the minute, I think, writer directors anyway. He had this same shortcoming because there's no pathway for directors to even learn this shit, even at film school really. It doesn't kind of teach you. You're kind of left to create stuff and fend for yourself. So yeah, that was super inspiring, I think. Um, and it kind of made me even more determined to do bits and bobs with this podcast. My nugget of the week, which I've sent you in the past, if you if, if you go onto Spotify and you type in Claire Kilner, uh, C-L-A-R-E-K-I-L-N-E-R, um, there's a podcast that she did with, um, it's called In The Moment, Acting, Art and Life. Good old Claire. And if you listen to that episode, you get a... Uh, an understanding of her experience as a director and she talks about some of the things of when when the penny dropped when she did things uh, as a director as in the things that we were talking about uh, and it's a really insightful episode because Claire is such an amazing person and um, you know both me and you regard her very highly uh, as an artist and as a as a human being yeah and you know she was she was awesome with us um she's one of the directors on House of the Dragon she recorded it, I think, a year before it actually was released. It was released when the when the, when season one came out, but she actually recorded it when she was in production uh, the previous summer, I think it was. Um, and it's great. It really, really is great. And I think that people, if they listen to it and listen to it right to the end, some of the things she talks about, it really does click. This concludes our episode. If anyone does happen to be listening, get your questions in at the director's take at outlook.com. And we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing or the film industry at large, and we'll do our best to tell you. We want to ultimately shape this as a resource for you, so do get your questions in and reach out to us on Instagram, which is the Directors Take Podcast. Until next time, keep learning, keep failing, and keep the faith.